Okay, well, let me begin by prayer, and then we will jump right into some scriptures, and I will tell you what I believe the Lord put in my heart for you today. Father, we're so grateful for your wonderful goodness to us. Lord, you've made us rich in our poverty and lifted us from death to life, given us everything so freely, and Lord, we're grateful. We thank you for this season, Lord, where so much joy abounds in us and the messages, Lord, of what you've done, how you've rescued us, come to us. I pray, Father, that this morning as we uh, look to you, that you will impress deeply upon us the richness and depth of your word and lead us into a more stable and confident faith in you, that we might have trust and humility, Father, and and find your strength and represent you well in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 46, I must admit, I love this. We used to have an old song that we would sing. Psalm 46, verses 4 and 5 says this, A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. And uh, and the older versions that I love so much, a little of the poetry is lost in the NLT, but uh, to me. And it says, uh, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. He is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. Isn't that a wonderful promise and a, promise, a wonderful word? So this morning we get to talk about the blessing of living water. What is living water? Well, biblically speaking, it's moving water, uh, fresh water, water that nourishes, uh, as opposed to dead water, uh, which is stagnant, toxic water. I suppose as we imagine moving water, we naturally think of rivers and streams, What is it about rivers that sets them apart in our minds? For me, rivers contain fish, but there's more. (laughs) I love, those of you who know me, I love to fly fish, and uh, it is an act of worship when I go fly fishing. I just love to be in the water. But what is it about rivers that sets them apart in our minds? Here in Montana, most of our rivers run through rather arid landscape. Dry hills, sandstone bluffs, lots of sagebrush. Not so different from the biblical lands. The rivers, though, bring lush vegetation, fertile soils, exposed mineral wealth, incredible habitat for critters of every sort. In other words, richness. And you can really see this for me when I come from, you know, up above the city and you look down and you can just see what the river does to it. And I particularly like when I'm coming up the Bighorn Valley and going to the Bighorn River, all the hills are really arid. It just really... It's just such a picture, and then there's this incredible lushness that's in that valley that that river brings, and it's just full of critters of every sort. In other words, there's just, it's just rich. The rivers bring richness. The awareness is exactly what the scriptures capture and utilize to convey to us deep truths about God's goodness. There's a lot about rivers in the scripture, and I'm going to point out a few of them today. And uh, his nature, when we look at the metaphors and whatnot in scripture about rivers, we can see God's nature, his intentions for us. We can learn things about his ways. And so today I'm going to build up, going through some Old Testament scriptures, 
few Old Testament scriptures and some New Testament scriptures that are yet to come and be fulfilled. And um, I want to build up to these passages. There's two passages, actually three passages that say living water in the scripture. The, the first one, one that's very familiar is in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. The other one is in John chapter 7 at a celebration. Um, and there's, uh, Jesus makes a proclamation about water there in John chapter 7. And then also in Revelation 21, there is a, well, we'll call an eschatological um, scripture that points up to a fulfilling time that has to do with water. And so I'm going to try to reach across the scriptures with all three of those. Allow me to set up in the briefest possible way a background of what Jesus was communicating to his hearers and to us today. The word of God begins in a garden, which is called Eden, and it ends in a city. Glorified, restored Eden. That says a lot about community right there. It begins in simplicity and moves to complexity and uh, community is amazing. So it ends in this city, which is a restored Eden. In between, there's a whole lot of activity. We fit somewhere in that flow of activity at this present time. You know, the kingdom of God is moving. God has been moving, always moving, always building, healing, restoring, giving life. And so, in the story from beginning to end, flowing waters, rivers, if you will, are used to reveal to us the truth and the effect of divine, life-giving grace. This grace causes flourishing life, rich provision, even wealth, as the life of God touches his creation. Everything God pours grace into prospers. Can you say amen to that? Man, I'm telling you, I don't know what your life was like, but mine sucked. And when Jesus touched it, everything changed. And I'm still pretty happy about that. (laughs) Everything God touches prospers. We see the beginning of the revealing of this truth here. In Genesis 2.10, there's this kind of odd scripture that uh, in the middle of this creation story, all of a sudden, it's just to me, it just seems like this little pitch about a river is stuck into the middle of it. And it says this, a river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch called the Pishon flowed around the entire land of Havilah where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are there, are also found there. The second branch called the Gion flowed around the entire land of Cush The third branch called the Tigris flowed east of the land of Asher. And the fourth branch is called the Euphrates. And that's just kind of it. There's this illustration of this river flowing out from Eden. And obviously, uh, let me go down here. Eden Eden is where God's domain and earth's domain, man's domain, heaven is God's domain, Let me start over. Eden is where heaven, God's domain, and earth, man's domain, come together. This river flows from Eden. So in that place of that that union of God and man, where these come together, that's where Eden was. That's what Eden is. And it was this place of lush 
provisions. Amazing richness was there. And then there was a river that, that flowed out of it and went out outside of Eden and went down into the, the lands that were around this, this area. This is what the Bible's trying to tell us. And it breaks up into four branches and goes out. And now this river creates like two islands. These two rivers don't even exist anymore. Nobody knows what happened to them. Duh. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But anyway, if you'll notice the unnatural structure of that river, I have been at a lot of rivers and I have never seen a river break into four rivers. I've seen a lot of four rivers become one river. So it's, it's inverted. It's kind of upside down. And so anyway, as far as I know, no rivers start as one and become four. It's inverted. This helps us to understand that it's not landscape we're talking about. It's communicating some deep spiritual truth, this thing about the rivers. It's important when we remember at this time that mankind's fall from grace at, and the entrance of sin to God's good creation cut off to some measure this full flourishing. Now this river went down and, and created this wealth in uh, two of the rivers. There was richness. It's not really about gold and stones and things like that. It's about wealth. It's about richness. It's about provision. And then the lands that flow down through the river valleys, the Egris and the Tigris, you know, the civilizations began to flourish. The whole economy of everything was established because of this flowing nature of this water that was running through. But in sin, which we see in chapter 3 of Genesis, that our fall from grace and the entrance of sin to God's good creation cut off to some measure this full flourishing. The, weak, the earth was weakened for man's sake, one translation says, for your sake. I've weakened the earth. And so it's to help us. Now, all the judgments of God are designed to help us turn back to him, to turn to him and find life. Every time that God brings a judgment, it's to end something and to bring us into something new. And that's really important to understand. Even in the, even in the fall of man, God's intention, you know, as you probably well know, it's full of promises about the crushing of a serpent's head and so on and so forth. But the earth was weakened. In other words, dryness, striving, Futility replaced flourishing. Maybe that's why two of the rivers dried up and gone away. Maybe we're working on maybe we're working on half the half the fuel we need. <laughs> I mean, God's sustaining us and sustaining the creation, but it's certainly not what it was created to be, and certainly not what it should be and could be. So, if we jump to the middle of the Bible and go to the book of Ezekiel, we can see this result of this sin that happened. Uh, God has drawn together his nation, Israel, put him in the land. He's made covenants with them. He's done everything he can to reestablish himself with them. But in the book of Ezekiel, there's a particularly sad story. And what happens is the people have sinned and moved away from God, and they've committed heinous crimes against God's faithfulness and joy and peace and everything that he is. They have insulted him by, by offering, uh, it says in, um, I think it's in Ezekiel 18, uh, the prophet has a vision uh, and 
He sees the elders worshiping other gods in the very temple. He sees the women offering morning sacrifices to a Babylonian god. All this idolatry and this, this unfaithfulness. Just, and God's heart is just broken. And we can see that as, as in the first 17, 18 chapters or so of Ezekiel. Ezekiel has a vision. This is a really important vision uh, in the very beginning. He's, he is actually a priest that, went, that was taken out and sent to Babylon at the beginning of the fall and the exile of Israel from the land. And, and they were going to be dispersed. And so he has this vision. He's sitting along the river. He was 30 years old and he was ready to become a priest. And, he was, and he's sitting by the side of the river and he has this amazing vision. And what it is, is it's actually a war chariot of God. And God stand, God's likeness, his glory, it says, is established upon the wings of these creatures that have wheels. And so we've got the glory of God moving. And where this thing originated, where what Ezekiel understands is this is the glory of God that has departed from the temple. He is completely left. It's bigger than Elvis leaving the building. And the glory of God has left the temple. He's so heartbroken over the idolatry of the people. And, and so here's Ezekiel. And he has this great vision. And he pronounces all of this stuff on him. And then we get to the end of the book. And all of a sudden there's this tremendous message of hope. And Ezekiel 47 outlines that. And Ezekiel is led by this angelic guide uh, through this temple, this restructured temple. There's never a mention of it being Jerusalem or anything. Uh, it's just this, this new temple complex, this new city. And so what Ezekiel does is he's looking at the temple and this guide points out to him and says, look, and there's a trickle of water that starts to come out from the throne of God or the throne of the temple comes over the threshold, which is the front door, flows out, and the angel measures a thousand measurements, whatever, he has a string or something, measures a thousand measures, and the water comes up. Now to the ankles, and then another thousand and up to the knees, and then another thousand and up to the waist, and another thousand, and it's a river that no one can, can traverse. It's flooding over. It's all flowing down to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the most toxic water probably on the planet, at least in biblical understanding it was. No water flows out of the Dead Sea. That's why it's dead. It's not flowing. All this water flows into it, but nothing flows out. It's dead, toxic water. And now this river is flowing into it. And Ezekiel's promise of hope is that even the Dead Sea will flourish. It doesn't matter what kind of cesspool you're living into, this river will make it sweet. <laughs> that I'm talking, that's what I want to get to. So we have this beautiful picture of Ezekiel. He's reaching back to Eden and looking at the flourishing and the river and how the river is supplying it. And then he's looking ahead. He's looking at the situation they're in. But more than that, he's talking prophetically about in the end, about how another river is going to come out. And it's going to be a, 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 a life-giving fulfillment. And so we go to Revelation 21, 22, and we see in the end when God restores Eden, that's what New Jerusalem is. When it comes down, New Jerusalem comes down from the heavens, and God's in the midst of her. And everything is changed and renewed. Eden comes to even greater than its former state, 
it's even greater now. It's, it's just everything is that way with God. It starts out weak and becomes strong. In Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down to the center of Main Street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with the fresh crop each month. The leaves were used as for medicine to heal the nations. And this is the fulfillment. There is a river that will flow out of this restored Eden that will bring healing to everything. It will heal all things. It will, be, it will supply the life of God to all of creation. What an incredible promise. What an incredible thing. We're living in the tension of that. We live in the already, not yet. And we have a river now, but that river's gonna increase. It's gonna increase from ankles to knees to waist. We are more than conquerors through Christ who gave himself for us. With the advent of Jesus, the trickle has begun. It began with the baby's first breath and the subsequent wail. What an amazing thing. Almighty God has come down and he's this big. That's amazing. And that wail, oh, the trickle has begun. Jesus was, as we've come to understand through our studies and knowledge of Jesus, we understand he was God and man together. Heaven and earth come together. He really is. Heaven and earth and this river of life flows from him, which I'm going to show you in a minute. In John 4, 16, John 4, uh, 16 through 15, or 6 through 15, I'm sorry. It says this. Jacob's well was there. This was the story about the woman at the well. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to condense it down a little. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals have enjoyed? Now you have to realize that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, this well has been meeting the needs, the basic life needs of the people there. And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Everything in me wants to take off preaching. I'm going to stop. Those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get water. 
She has some self-interest here. You know. In this encounter, we come across Jesus' first reference to living water. The story reveals a woman living in hardship, socially ostracized, forced to gain life's most basic necessity, water, in the heat of the day, alone, by herself. If sin doesn't do anything else, that's exactly, <laughs> it makes life uphill and dry and tedious and, it just, and, fut- and futile, and it just repeats. Wash, rinse, repeat. <laughs> over and over. The water, the things that we chase after in this world never satisfy. We gain some dream that we had or something that we wanted, some object or maybe even a relationship, but all of a sudden, there's hunger again. And if any of you have struggled with severe bondages, you know the same thing. You begin and it starts out, but it, can, it ever increases and increases its appetite for you. And there's nothing for a drug addict. You know, you start out, you know, having a pretty fun time for a couple days, but then pretty soon you find yourself in a treatment center chained down, foaming at the mouth. It's not good. That's everything that we want to take from this world will lead to a path of destruction if we don't clothe it in Christ. It's just the way it is. Everything he touches, makes, he makes alive and causes to flourish. And so anyway, this woman, she, she's there. Jesus draws her into a conversation that masterfully leads her to ask for the living water where he commences to show her the way to the river. It's brilliant. Where can I get this drink? He goes, worship and truth. <laughs> you know, she has some religious understanding and of worship and stuff. And he goes, that there's going to come a time when you won't go to this mountain or you won't go to Jerusalem, you won't go anywhere else, but you will come to me and worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The way to the water. Worship and faith. Truth trust and faithfulness I just it's just that simple it's simply turning to Jesus in faith trusting him and the water comes again in John 7 37 through 39 Jesus makes a declaration concerning living water there's a bit of explanations needed here to capture the weight of this occasion the festival that he's at in John 7 37 is called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Ingathering. It's at the end of the season when everything is harvested in. And the feast commemorates the time in the book of Exodus when the people wandered in the wilderness living in tents. They drank water from rocks. Uh, remember the story of Rephidim. Uh, Rephidim, uh, right after God brought them out, he brings them to a place. They're really thirsty. Three, four days. They drank some bitter water that... Moses throws a stick in and turns sweet and they're able to get some water but they soon get thirsty again. It's just a few days, two, three days. And then all of a sudden, Moses is commanded by God to go smack this rock with his staff and it gives water. And I mean, man, this is a, this is a river that's flowing out. I used to think, you know, because I've watched too much television probably, I thought it was, you know, Charlton Heston smacking a rock, you know, and a little gush come, a little spring come out. But you have to remember, there was anywhere from 600,000 to 2 2 million people with cattle and sheep and goats and whatnot, all needing water daily. I mean, this thing was was a river that was flowing out of there. And so they stayed there. And anyway, this is such a beautiful picture. Uh, They drank the water from the rocks. 
And the Apostle Paul magnificently reveals the, deep, the deeper meaning of this in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. This is the way Paul interprets the scriptures back that way. And so here this water is following him. God's great provision is following through this wilderness and dry place. What an encouragement for us today. And the festival anyway, <clears throat> the festival of booths, it began, uh, it lasted eight days. It began with the solemn day of preparation. I think rest, remembrance, contemplation, but they also went out, uh, it, very, it differed from a Sabbath because they went out and cut certain kinds of branches and leaves and boughs and they tied them together like, leave, uh, like fronds and then they would wave them. So they were like palm fronds and fig tree, you know, tied with citron, you know. And so anyway, that's what they did. They made these fronds on that prep day of preparation and then it was followed by seven days of ritual celebration. One activity was to dance and wave the fronds around the altar while the Hallel was sung. Now that's Psalms 113 through 118. I encourage you to go back and read those. It's a song of praise and remembrance, the whole, the whole set of verses. It starts out with high praise about God and his faithfulness, and then it has psalms about remembering God's deliverance and God's provision in the wilderness. And, and then, so what they're doing is, so now they're, announcing and proclaiming all these, all these things while they're dancing around this altar, waving these fronds around the altar in this high celebration. That's what it is. It's a party. And then the last thing that they did was they made an offering of water, poured it over the altar, followed by wine. They did this seven days, and on the seventh day they repeated it seven times. He got an echo going there. Sounds like Jericho. And uh, so anyway, that's what they did. They would repeat the process seven times on the seventh day and then on the eighth day. And so we have this incredibly striking symbolism as Jesus stands up on the last great day. John 7 Verses 37 through 39 says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered his glory. So this river of living water, this rock, is our Jesus himself. And this river is going to flow from his very heart to us. A baby's cry and a trickle is becoming a raging river. Thank you, Jesus. I told you I like rivers. Interestingly, there's not a single scripture that is close to what is quoted here. But it seems plain to me that all the scriptures point to this truth. I mean from page one to the end. This thing is talking about this life of God imparted to his creation and to his people. This wonderful great plan of God coming 
and joining with us and making permanent that junction of heaven and earth and that life that flows out of it, the river that flows out of it. And isn't that what Jesus is telling us? Is that he will share that with us and we all become those partakers of this river that flows out for the healing of the nations. This is really what our call is about. It's about reaching out, sharing this life of God. We get this wonderful participation with Jesus in this world. We can go down, I don't care how stinky the cesspool is. We can go down and we can minister out of the grace of this river that flows out of you and me, brother and sister, because we're in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. And we can speak life. And they'll tell you that it's pretty exciting to watch a desert bloom. It's pretty exciting to watch a cesspool turn into a nice fish hole. You know? <laughs> Sin, it just pollutes everything. But we're the answer. Jesus is the answer. He's taken us along, even in our journey with him. The grace, the love, the mercy, the eternal life of God, it flows from Jesus' heart to us, freely and without cost, to all who will believe and receive him. Jesus brings the flourishing fullness of his life-giving presence to us. Truly, heaven and earth are brought together in those who drink from this river. Rivers. You can take a drink today. We'll have time prayer. There's nothing stopping you from coming and getting a fresh drink. Jesus said, I mean, Paul encourages us to be filled with the Spirit continually. Amen? I'm done. <laughs>